Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston. Today we are talking about a book entitled Safe Haven, a real-life testimony of faith and prayer. And with us is the author of that book, Stephen Turnwald. We're talking to him from his home in Ohio right now. Mr. Turnwald, how are you? Yes, fine. Thank you. How are you, Brian? Doing very well. Thank you very much for coming on with us today. We're excited to talk to you about your book. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all. Have you written books before? Uh, actually, this is my first book, The Talented, and hopefully I can write after more of it. Well, I'm sure you can. Uh, tell me about yourself. Uh, what kind of work were you doing before you decided to write books? Well, I did some different things. I surveyed for a while. I, I've been working in factories. That's maybe the biggest job I've been at, is working in a factory. So, I've uh, been writing. I, uh, that was my second-hand job was writing. It kind of came as a hobby. It turned into a lucrative thing for me. How so? I believe from the inspiration of God, he's filled me with knowledge to give me something to write about. And I find the kingdom of God is a very interesting subject to write about for me. Outstanding. So I guess this led to writing the book Safe Haven, a real-life testimony of faith and prayer, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the book. What is it about? Well, the name Safe Haven. I gave it Safe Haven because, well, after writing, I come to find that I was writing about the kingdom of God. And my understanding of Safe Haven is that it's another name for the kingdom of God for me and hopefully for others. What was it that inspired you to write this book? Well, I served in the military right after coming out of high school. I had to deal with a severe illness that I went through, and really, it altered my life drastically. And uh, it also made me see in a new light who God was. And I just thought I had to write about it to let people know who this God is. So is this a personal story, or is this a collection of other people's stories? No, it's a personal story. It's many stories put together, actually. There's 21 stories in all. And these are all things that happened to you over the course of your life? Well, it's sort of. They they happened in my life, yes, but uh, also their insights into helping people for self-betterment in their own lives, for instruction, for guidance, for somebody to lead them on. Uh, one of the things that I read um, um, in the description of the author uh, in our questionnaire here was that you were inspired by a dream. What can you tell us about this dream? It was about, it was about God and where my life was heading, and he sort of gave me a mission to... A mission to sort of accomplish or set in track for others and just kind of develop from there. So uh, how long ago did uh, you actually begin the work on this book? Okay, well, uh, it's been about 10 years from the day today. Actually, close, it's close to 10 years from the day. Okay, and it took you 10 years to write the book? That's correct. Well, tell me a bit about the process. Why did it take so long? And uh, kind of talk a little bit about uh, how you got to the point where you finally completed it. From the units I acquired in the Air Force, I was hearing voices, and I had to separate the voices from God and 
figure out the voice where he's coming from. And, and once I got God tuned in, I was able to actually get direct contact with him occasionally and otherwise through the church and through the saints. And yes. Go ahead. And so uh, it was just a matter of refining what I had written and finding my direction. So you all to complete the book after about a 10-year process. Um, so now that it's all completed and done, what were some of the things that you learned about God that you want to share with your readers? Well, God is not a not a dictatorial person. He's not a police enforcer. He's a loving, gentle God who is slow to anger, and he likes to give mercy unto people. He likes to forgive people, and he likes that people accept his mercy and forgiveness and go on with life and have joy and confidence in him and seek a pure heart. Was this something that uh, you that it took you a while to learn, or is this something that came with a, a, almost an instantaneous uh, revelation? Oh, no, it, it took a while to learn. It was a slow maturing process. And you mentioned that uh, he was uh, having to help you deal with your anger. Is that what you said? No, it wasn't anger. Well, I did deal with some anger, but that wasn't the main topic. Okay. It was dealing with the spiritual a lot, and I learned... From that, that you should not serve spirits because that will get you into some deep trouble. Was all this a result of what you uh, dealt with from uh, the illness that you uh, dealt with from your time in the service? Yes. So tell me some of the things that you want people then to come away from your book uh, after they've read it. What would be some things that you'd want them to uh, understand, uh, have learned about from reading your book? Just for one aspect of my book, I went to letting go. And refers to in believing we must let go. I divide the five letting goes in faith haven. Let go of synapses, breath, souls, bilocations, and minds. God grants us freedom so we are able to let go in life with these. And these then are freeing us to live in God's reign. Above and greater than all these, we serve love, which wants to dwell in our hearts in the Holy Spirit. By letting go and letting God in synapses, breaths, souls, bilocations, and minds, we stop the act of trying to be the controller of all. God is the one trying to be the controller of all. God is the one in position for possessing complete control. Uh, baptism isn't a necessity for belief in God. In these matters, it's a huge help. Evidence reveals that when, when a person isn't... When a, Evidence reveals that when a person within a group is trying to be in total control with the five aspects, the controlling person becomes a hindrance. The person allows walls to be built between others and God. The control freak is seen to be already enclosed away from God. The freak's attempts are for shunning the weak and lesser persons. He wants to be a God himself. Or say if it's for a female, she wants to be a goddess among her peers. Well, letting go and letting God in synapses, breath, souls, bilocations, and minds requires teamwork and requires participation. Success stories don't come to fruition without letting go and letting God to their end. Acquiring control comes to you in and through God which causes for humanity's sake. 
when the Lord helps and burdens from your heart, when the Lord helps you in concerning these matters, he releases weights and burdens from your heart, mind, and soul. In battling of spirits and much mental anguish going on between you and God's patrons, or the devils take on a conversion in you, God intercedes to shine the way. He helps, teaches, and takes you in hand as you let go and let God in a simplified manner under him. Your life turns into matters of teamwork and participating with God and his patrons in societies. You can be converted through baptism as a new creation in Jesus Christ. You join your will with God's will. Self-denials are ways of letting go and letting God see your life to sit up with eternal life in Jesus. I evangelize even without words at times for many near to God. We are all sinners, but those who persevere for God and His will to the end receive the prize with Him. Sexual love is enlivened and kindled and enabled with will and beauty in synapses, breasts, souls, bilocations, and or minds. In faith, hope, and charity, life is spiritual, trustworthy, and accentual in momentous ways. When you simply entrust your life in God. I may be unable to explain my way out of some highly intellectual subjects. I may as yet still be trying to understand fully some uncertain or certain topics. So here's my understatement. God and his works are mysterious and a mystery to us. He works many miracles before us. He is marvelous. He can be trusted to let go and let God, and that's the end. Very good, very good. Now, where can people find your book, Safe Haven, A Real-Life Testimony of Faith and Prayer? Okay, they can go to the, they can Google uh, the website www.stephenturnwaldbooks.com. Very good. And uh, obviously, uh, the book is out now. It's published by Ex Libris. And uh, Mr. Turnwall, we really appreciate your time today as uh, you have to uh, get a, a bit of an idea of what Safe Haven, a real-life testimony of faith and prayer, is all about. Okay. I really enjoyed talking to you. Hope you'll check out his book. It's, uh, again, Safe Haven, A Real-Life Testimony of Faith and Prayer. It's published by Ex Libris, and the author is Stephen Turnwald. Mr. Turnwald, thank you very much for being on with us today. Okay, thank you very much, Brian. Thank you, sir. This is Ex Libris On Air. I'm Brian Houston. Thank you very much for listening. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our author joins us from Australia today. He's written a book, What is God's Secret Plan in Revelation, Chapter 10. His name, the author, Peter Jolie. Welcome to the program, sir. Good to speak to you. I apologize again on the air for waking you at this early hour. It's about 6 in the morning in Australia. Uh, You have been generous and kind enough to visit with me and talk about your book. You're dealing with a subject that a lot of people have concerns, interests, even some panic about, and that's the book of Revelation. How did you become interested in the book of Revelation specifically, and why did you decide you wanted to share your concepts of chapter 10 and other related articles? Well, it's, um, it's just things I see when I read the Bible. Um, begin with the preface of the book where I has me doing a, a radio interview and and I give my story about my vision of the candy cane with the cobweb, which actually means the scroll, sweet as honey in the mouth, but bitter in the stomach, which is in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, I think, 9 and 10. And, um, and I, I, I use that, uh, so chapter 5 of the book, I use that to um, uh, say what... Um, God's secret plan is going to be. Yeah, you mentioned and, um, you, you mentioned from the graphics on the front, you do have a candy cane with a with a, uh, a cobweb or a uh, uh, a web of some type on it, and uh, you take from chapter yes, that's right. chapter ten. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and I just want to mention also uh, at the beginning of this year, after the book has already been published and everything, beginning of this year, I discovered on the news about a uh, NASA's hand of God. It's a an exploded star out in the universe somewhere and when I actually had a look at the image and I went back to Google and had a look at the image it's actually what the hand of God is holding is in fact a candy cane with a cobweb when you have a look at it really and the amazing the amazing thing about that is what that I knew nothing about that hand of God when I published the book so it's as if it's a sign of God pointing to this book uh, telling the world what his secret plan's going to be. And where can our listeners find find that uh, information from NASA? Uh, just go to Google and just type in NASA Hand of God and people will be able to see images of... Just go to images, see all the images of his hand. And it shows... looks like a, actually blood pouring out of the palm of the hand like from the Jesus on the nail of the cross, you know, but... So it looks like his hand with the blood pouring out. And in his fingers, when you look at the object in his fingers, it looks like a candy cane with a cobweb. That's well, fascinating. More of a, more of a, yeah, more of a natural-looking cobweb. Like the cobweb candy cane on the front of the me book is more of a cartoon picture of a candy cane with a cobweb. But the one on the, the hand looks more of a sort of natural cobweb, like a candy cane is lying on a table for months and cobweb formed around it. So what what is there about the book of revelation that has caught your attention well it's um well, I, well the meaning of the candy cane with the cobweb um you'll see it in uh, chapters 5 and 6 of my book it's actually it's uh, like the if uh, you read the parable of the sower in the the gospels of the bible the gospel according to luke and matthew and mark about a seed 
is God's word and people who receive the seed and let it fall by the way so it's like they hear the message of God and let it go in one ear out the other and they forget about it and so a seed that's fallen by the wayside is a seed that was good and then it's just become no good and so it's a candy cane with a cobweb is the same thing it's instead of being eaten it just gets wasted and just left there and just gathers a cobweb so it was something good that came from God that people ignore the message so it becomes no good you, and, um, you also refer to John's uh, comments in the book of Revelation where he uh, you're quoted him in Revelation 10.10. 10. In my mouth it was sweet as honey, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. You talk about sweet and bitter in the same uh, same context of uh, of the Revelation. Yes, that's uh, written on the front cover of the book. And the candy cane is sweet, but when the candy cane has gone old and just left behind and become months old it might still taste sweet but then might make you feel crook in the stomach so that's how i interpret the candy cane of the club as actually being the scroll sweet as honey in the mouth but bitter in the stomach and you uh, you began writing this how long ago oh uh, i started writing it about uh, 2000 and well it was as far back as 2007 when i come up with the preface but i uh, started really getting into it all after I learned how to use a computer and type on a computer and putting in the, so I pretty much started around 2010 2011 just kept adding and adding things onto it originally it was just going to be started off being flyers putting in people's letterboxes to share the message of God but then I had enough things to say to be able to make a book out of it and this is not your first book on spiritual uh, context is it the second or third well it's me second. Um, it's actually really more of a revised edition of my first book. My first book was called What Will Happen on the 21st of December 2012, and I was using that to mark the beginning of the era when these things would happen. And um, some other publisher kept sending emails saying, oh, you Got a, we got a special deal for you. you can say three thousand dollars on a publishing package. So I ended up they were Australians <laughs> and they they published that first book. Right. Uh, but 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 by the time it was published, it was already got too close to the actual date of twenty first of December. So unfortunately, no copies got sold. It was sort of left till too late. So then I decided I'd come back to Libris and just change the the cover and the title and made a few changes within the book as well just to and, make and it more up, up to date and this is why I've got the subtitle here the alignment of the earth sun and milky way on the 23rd of September 2012 has marked the start of this era how, how did you know that this alignment was going to take place in December of 2012 well a friend of mine told me he lent me this uh, book was uh, by Melissa Rossi the book was called decoding 2012 and and I found that to be an interesting book. But um, on my 2012 book, which is an earlier version of God's Secret Plan book, I don't mention any of the predictions people were making about 2012. People were saying, uh, well, there's going to be terrible tsunamis and earthquakes caused by a reversal of the poles, the North Pole pole becoming the South Pole, so to speak. And um, people thought the biggest volcano in the world was going to erupt and darken the whole Earth. There were people saying that on the 21st of December of that year, a big comet or 
even another planet was going to hit the Earth, all these ridiculous stories. But my book just points out that from that day, the events of chapter 10 of Revelation would take place. And and what is that in your uh, observation that is going to take place that ushered in this era? Well, it's about a uh, an evangelist, um, an Australian evangelist, who's um, through miracles in his church. The miracles are going to be so great that the church won't be able to ignore them, so he'll get to work his way to being the Pope of the Catholic Church and to, and to form a one-world church. And I'd also like to point out a mistake that people are making. People are saying now, I'm getting emails on that from Catholic end-time truths. They send emails to me about things going on in the Catholic Church. And they say the present Pope is now trying to form a one-world church. He's doing what he can to bring all churches together. But what they're saying is they think that he is the false prophet and Mm. The one world church is going to be the one world government, but that's a mistake. That they're two separate things. So this pope, because he's getting old, only one of his lungs is working, and so he's getting old, nailing it. I don't know if he's going to be around that much longer. But this other fellow called Peter the Baptist, who you'll read about in the book, he'll be the one who'll work. His, he'll be an evangelist, and he'll be the one who work his way to the becoming the Pope of the Catholic Church and he'll make the great changes and he's going to be the main opponent of the real false prophet according to my book the real false prophet is going to be a Christian political party when they get into government he'll be the President of the United States he'll be a Christian but he'll actually be a false prophet just pretending to be a Christian he'll actually have powers of the devil to perform miracles and that and this Peter the Baptist, he'll be the head of the Catholic Church and he'll get uh, all his church to build a new civilization out in uh, remote areas. And that's that's actually going to be the real World War Three, I think, when the false prophet's going to chase all these people who won't take the mark of the beast and go off into this new civilization with, run by Peter the Baptist. And that's what what's going to be the... Great tribulation. Oh, that's that's a fascinating conjecture, and probably not that far removed from what others uh, feel about the uh, end time prophecies and what's going to take place in the church and in the world. Uh, on your video, I, yeah, I've I've been told that you have a tendency to not match your socks. What is that all about? Oh yeah, the um, I was wearing a a light colored sock on my right foot because I was actually symbolizing the angels in Revelation chapter 10 who has his right foot in the sea and his left foot on the land and um, the, uh, the light coloured sock actually represents sand covering the angel's right foot in the sea you could call it a bit of a gimmick or something well it's attention getting at least uh, I, I would say that's good marketing uh, yeah <laughs> when you began writing your book, Peter, where did you think this might take you, or where do you think the message might end up? Who do you think is going to profit from reading this? Oh, just anyone in the world is curious about what's going to be happening. When is the end of the world going to come? How is it all going to go about? What kind of things are going to happen in the world? And, and I just want to mention also this extra chapter 4. I added a new chapter 4 to the book uh, to point out that um, 
as they say, the angel, the sixth angel, when he sounds his trumpet, it's going to be all about World War Three. Uh, it's about the um, three plagues that are going to kill a third of mankind. Mm-hmm. But my interpretation of that is not actually World War Three. It's actually about cancer, because it's a known fact that one in three people in the world is going to at one time die of cancer sometime in their lifetime. So it's not actually going to wipe out a third of the world's population in one go. It's, and uh, regarding the plagues, the fire is actually the burning of sunburn, which causes melanomas. The smoke is cigarette smoking, and the sulphur is represents chemicals. Now, some asbestos or dyes, and that can cause cancer. And, and the 200 million troops mounted on backs are actually melanomas mounted on people's back, you know. Interesting. And so 200,000, it's actually, the the fact is 200,000 people were diagnosed with melanoma in the year 2008. But but, uh, at one cancer cell, a melanoma multiplied by a thousand, a cancer can multiply, say, about a thousand times to kill the person, if you follow what I mean. So 200,000 multiplied by a thousand is 200 million. So that's how I interpret what that actually means. That's a unique unique perspective. Your book is short enough that anyone with curiosity about the book of Revelation or about prophecy or end-time events or the future, even if they are not religious in, in their uh, context or in their personal uh, lifestyle, would enjoy reading your book because it does give you some ideas, some thoughts that are a little bit different from the mainstream concepts. How would you introduce your book to someone in a couple of sentences or maybe a couple of paragraphs, Peter? Well, it's just a book which is going to reveal what God's secret plan is going to be according to Revelation chapter 10. Chapter 10 is the key. Uh, well, that's the main chapter. It's the key. It's about the scroll, sweet in the mouth, bitter in the stomach. It's how I get the candy cane with the cobweb, which means the Catholic Church, which needs to be renewed by a new leader. I think that's a, that's a wonderful observation that you've made. Your book, Dealing with Prophecy, there are a lot of books in the marketplace that deal with the book of Revelation and other prof- prophetic uh, events. Do you feel like yours is different or unique? I believe it's unique that my vision of the candy cane of the cobweb I believe is unique and um, I also want to say that I have plans to somewhere in the next few months to actually revise the book again because what I want to do is put a picture of uh, NASA's hand of God in the the lower left hand corner of the cover and um, where it says uh, the alignment of the earth and Milky Way, December 21st, 2012, has marked the start of this era. That's going to be replaced by a new thing. It's going to say, NASA's hand of God is holding a candy cane, and it's a sign of the end times. So it's all in this book. And and, and the back, I'm going to take all the cob... I'm going to keep the candy cane with the cobweb on the front, but they're going to remove the rest of the cobwebs off the book, and the back... Well, the cover is going to have information about NASA's hand of God and how it relates to the book. Fascinating. And so so this is an opportunity now for people to buy the present edition of the book, which will soon be obsolete, so it will end up being a collector's item. They'll have the first edition, which has all the cobwebs all over it, 
giving it a bit of a gothic sort of a Halloweenish look about it. I uh, I think it's fascinating to see the cover, and your concept is certainly uh, not what I would have interpreted. I uh, plan to to read it in its entirety, also, Peter. Now, Peter, you also have a unique viewpoint of the book of Genesis. Peter, what's unique or different about your interpretation of the first chapter of Genesis? Well, my interpretation of chapter 1 of Genesis is actually that everything did in fact evolve. The world did actually come together naturally. It was all done by God's power, but there were dinosaurs millions of years ago and everything evolved just as the scientific records say. And it's just the, the correct, it's really just the correct interpretation of what I believe is the correct interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 and people did in fact evolve from apes and then chapter 3 of the book points out that Adam and Eve were actually a supernatural creation there were already people existing at the time but they were a supernatural creation and uh, they were created to live forever as well as the animals in in the Garden of Eden and then it was Adam and Eve's sin that cut them off from their being able to live forever. Well, you you may be correct, because I I do know some people that remind me of apes. I don't think they've evolved very much yet, so that might be a true interpretation. There must have been some challenges in getting this completed. Uh, Were there any that delayed the publication of the book an extended period, or did you just walk right through it and get it done? Basically, as I said, uh, the original form of the book was was called What Will Happen to... December 21st, 2012, and that got published for the Australians a bit too late, so the date had already passed, and so that's when I went back to Exlibris, and that's when I changed the cover to Was God's Secret Plan, Revelation Chapter 10. That's when I put the candy cane with the cobweb on the front of it and made a few changes inside the book as well. Well, this should be a fascinating read. The title, again, is What is God's Secret Plan in Revelation Chapter 10? And our author, who has joined me from Australia, Peter Jolie. Peter, where can my uh, where can my uh, where can my listeners get copies of your book? I can go to my website, website which is www.peterjolie.com.com, and, and also also through Amazon, Inc. and Barnes and Noble. Possibly books a million? Huh? Uh, possibly books a million? Uh, possibly, yeah. Uh, just go onto it. Just go to Google or whatever on the internet and just type out Peter Jolie, God's Secret Plan, you know, and you'll come to all the advertisements for my book. Fabulous. And are you planning to do a follow up book to this one or other subject matters in your future? I'm actually in the process of writing a very different book. It's actually a book about. How I travelled around the world on nothing but a, a government pension. Wow! And this is this is go back to about the year, around the year 2000, and this was at a time when uh, you were able to get away with um, getting an airline ticket without booking accommodation overseas. So what I did is I got my airline ticket, and each pension I got, I was just living rough up in Queensland in Australia and each pension I got I was just putting it towards a round the world ticket paying it off like making lay-by payments mm-hmm. and, uh, and so when I had my ticket I had no accommodation so every destination I went to in the world Hawaii, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, 
New York and then over to Europe. I was sleeping rough just about everywhere I went, you know, just Incredible. sleeping out in the streets. And I'm, I'm anxious, to, anxious to hear that story myself. I don't think my wife would go along with sleeping rough, but uh, we did something similar to that. We did some couch surfing last time we did a long trip, and that was an adventure. So yours is even more uh, terrifying and exciting all at the same time. I look forward to talking to you about that when it's completed. Yeah. Thank you, Peter, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Honored to visit with you. Thank you for sharing it. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled Valentine's Journey, and our author is Pauline Jacqueline Adams. Pauline joins me from somewhere near Washington, D.C., I think. Uh, anyway, in the United States. Welcome, Pauline. Oh, thank you. Yeah, actually, Hagerstown, Maryland. Hager- Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh-huh. For our overseas listeners, uh, that's somewhere towards Washington, I think. Yes. It is in that general area. Your book mm-hmm. is uh, is a very, uh, I was going to use the word cute. I don't know if that would be offensive to you or not, but the, no. uh, the little puppy dog, Valentine, is a beautiful sketched character. Where did the idea for the book come from, Pauline? Well, I didn't want to forget her. I love this dog so much that... Uh, I was telling my granddaughter about it, and she says, Nanny, she says, why don't you about the book, about the dog? So I says, well, I'll try, and I wasn't going to publish it or anything, and uh, things just kept rolling, and it ended where it was published. And you have a love for art and uh, became proficient enough that you have also done all of the illustrations for this book. Yes, I did, but I'm really not into watercolor as much as uh, oils. Mm-hmm. So if I ever do another book, it would be done in oils because I have more control of it. Yes, but I will say this. The sketches, the illustrations are top-notch. They are are exceptional. You've drawn some wonderful character into your main character, Valentine. Where did Valentine arrive on your doorstep? Was this a rescue dog or was this a a puppy that you found uh, somewhere else? We found her on the Internet. My granddaughter had a Havanese, and I just fell in love with her little Havanese. So I start looking on the internet for having these puppies, and when I did, I found Valentine. 
And I call her that because my husband got her for me for Valentine's Day. Wow. She was, uh, we had to go to the airport to get her because she came from Johnstown, Ohio. And, uh, well, we had to pick her up down there, and she had a long journey. And poor little thing was just so frightened when we picked her up in this little cage. You could hold her in your hand. She was just about less than three pounds. My goodness. Yes, brought her home in this little blanket and stuff, and not a peep out of her that night, because my daughter, granddaughter says she's going to be whining all night, probably. Not a peep out of her. She slept all night. In fact, when we got, I got up in the middle of the night to see if she was still alive, she was just evidently so exhausted. That's unusual. From her long trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the little puppy, Valentine, has a special place in your heart, obviously, because you've dedicated and, and written this book about her. You're conversations inside the book are in smaller type, smaller print. Would you say your book is a book of love for Valentine that can be shared with a whole family, or is this a child's book? It's a rather short read, 24 pages. Well, it's more like of an autobiography of her, if she could really talk of what her little trip was and living here at the house. So this book would appeal to a wide range of audience then? I would say so. And she's brought so much happiness to this family. What do you think is the most amusing or fun thing that Valentine has done that uh, you remember? Well, she likes to beg. In other words, we tried to teach her to sit so she would sit. Mm-hmm. And then we told her to sit pretty, which she would sit up with her little paws up in the air. Wow. And now she uses that for everything she wants. It doesn't work, does it? She's not spoiled. No, she's just loved a lot. <laughs> I guess love and spoiled could be synonymous words, especially in the case of Valentine. I can see by the sketches why you would think she's a a precious addition to your family. In writing your book, when did you decide to do so? Well, like I say, after I got her and I start collecting things like her little teeth that I find and different little things like that, and that's when I decided to start jotting these things down when she lost her teeth and when she would start doing things like potty training and she was first afraid to go down the steps and just when she started going down the steps she was afraid of heights really and she would get over that then and that's why I say these things like that that I didn't want to forget about her. How long did it take to complete? I'll tell you she was trained in less mm, high say six months. She is a smart little dog and I'll tell you they understand so much it's amazing. Those dogs are really smart. Not just mine, but my granddaughters, too. The, yeah. the little have any stuff to learn quick. <laughs> well, they, they need to maybe train our grandkids and our children, maybe, if they they seem to learn pretty quickly. Yeah, they do. She was a very, in fact, her instructor that I had to teach her said she couldn't believe how fast she was learning compared to some of the other dogs that she had a little ahead of Valentine. Amazing. And how long did it take to, to actually write your book, write the story down? Oh, that was probably maybe three, four months, because I'd remember pieces from before the beginning and then keep adding to it. And as you completed and, the story and looked back over it, what is the message or the uh, story that you're really wanting to tell besides just the fact that you love your puppy, Valentine? Well, I think people should learn to take care of them instead of pulling their tails and their ears and stuff like that. They shouldn't be treated like that. They should be treated more like just little human beings because they're, they're sensitive. They are. I've had my ears pulled, though. I don't know if that's... Of course, my, my, last, my last name is Barker. Maybe that's the reason. I, 
<laughs> my tail, too, has been been abused a few times. Uh, as you uh, completed this and, and look back, the artwork must have been a, a difficult task. It, how much time did it take to get the illustrations completed? Well, I, you can't believe the photos I had of her. <laughs> that I would take photos and uh, just keep going through them to try and find what I wanted, and then I'd, like I say, try and paint them. You've done a spectacular job. Do you also do portraits of people? I've done some. I've been painting uh, since uh, 2007. I just started in November. And, uh, well, I finally got into a gallery, and uh, I'll be having a private show of mine in April of next year, and then uh, next June I'll be having, uh, in one of the hospitals here, they always take an artist and display their art for a month. So I got into that, which... I'm glad I belong to the mansion house, the art gallery out here. Incredible. Have you always had a uh, talent for art, or was that something that was acquired a little later uh, than mm-hmm. than most? There again, it's my granddaughter. Really? <laughs> when I retired, she, they were giving classes for senior citizens. And she says, Danny, why don't you go take that since you have nothing else to do? I says, oh, Jennifer, I says, I'm too old. She says, no, you're not. She says, try it. So I tried it, and I'm still doing it. And you're skilled. I, I will tell my listeners this. The, the book itself is uh, worth the price of admission just to see the artwork. Artwork is, is uh, very well done, and the story itself is charming. You talk about her her uh, days at uh, doggy training school and other events that happened in her life. If you were to introduce this book to somebody in a couple of sentences or maybe a couple of paragraphs, how would you describe it? Just how she grew up. That's the only thing I can tell you is how she grew up and learned things step by step, kind of just like a child would. She's fantastic. I don't think you're I, proud or anything. It's just uh, just the way it was. Yeah, Valentine's journey. So it, it it takes her journey from first arrival on the scene to, what, a year old? Well, right now she's, uh, yeah, about a year old. But right now she's uh, she was three in November. Three. She's three now. So the book has been been completed a while, at least the descriptives in your book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you describe your book as different from others in the marketplace? I can see some ways that it is a little unique, but what would your evaluation be? Well, my artwork's different than others, because usually they use the, like little characters, like right. comic characters. And um, I don't know, like I said, it's based really on a true story. Like I say, if she could just talk. It's a Valentine's point of view and Valentine's journey. And the uh-huh. way you have put it together and published it, it is unique because you are not only the storyteller through Valentine's eyes, but also the artist. So it is a unique book and wonderfully done. There must have been some challenges in getting the artwork to match the storyline. Was there anything on the layout side that was complicated? Well, sometimes, like I say, I would have problems finding because, like I say, I hadn't been painting that well, and uh, sometimes the things aren't in proportion, like something's out of proportion versus something else. Like maybe the chair's too small for the table or something like that. Mm -hmm. But like I say, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I think you're doing a wonderful job. But this is your first effort. Perhaps there will be another one in the future about Valentine or some of the other uh, events in your life. I appreciate your stopping by to share Valentine's journey. Our author, Pauline Jacqueline Adams. Pauline, where do we get copies of your book? From Ex Libra. Ex Libra Salt, yes. And they also have it at uh, 
different bookstores, uh, Amazon.com. Let's see, Barnes & Noble typically will carry, Barnes carry Noble, books. Yes, yes they're, they're a good source. Fine. They can also do a search online under Valentine's Journey and locate the book. Pauline, right. thank you for joining me today and sharing the story of Valentine and how she has impacted your life in a positive way. And I love the artwork. Thank you again for, for taking time to visit. Thank you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.